United States of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Easter season to all of you this Tuesday, May the 17th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from 1 John chapter 5. We are at the end of our time in 1 John, and what a blessing, because we have so many words that have been proclaimed throughout. Love, truth, little children, and today we hear about the, the knowing of eternal life. And we ask that question quite often in our lives. How do you really know? We're taught the question. Research, scientific method, research, all, all of these things. We're always told, how do you really know? And the question we have, how do we really know that you have eternal life? Today, John shows us his purpose for writing this letter. And for us, may we be full of the knowledge and truth of Christ and what he has done for us. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Heine, happy Easter and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Uh, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah. Pastor, uh, well, you know, we've heard a lot of uh, 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 celebrations in recent history, the 500th anniversary of the the Reformation. We hear the word 500 quite a bit in Scripture, that Jesus revealed himself to 500. But today is a big event for you, 500. And why is that, Pastor? Today was the 500th day in a row of what? You've been reading my Facebook page. Uh, 500 <laughs> days in a row of running at least one mile every day. So I, uh, I'm on a streak nice. and hit 500, uh, 500 <laughs> days today. So there it is. It's not. It's not the Reformation. It's not Jesus revealing himself to 500 people. But this is a great, healthy thing. So do you have a, you have a marathon coming up? I actually have zero runs on my calendar. I have a youth <laughs> gathering coming up that I'm prepping for, and that's. It's going to be like a marathon, just in a whole different way. I love it. I love it. So, so Pastor, real quickly, any other highlights uh, for you, your family, or the saints at Faith? Uh, you know, we're moving into summer. We had a wonderful Easter where we saw uh, many people who we haven't seen in a couple of years uh, able to come back and worship, and we're looking forward to a, a lot of great events. Um, we, we put on some... Uh, different fellowship things over the summer and also uh, move into a schedule that allows us to have an education hour as well during the summer. So we've got a lot of uh, great opportunities coming up just as a congregation to, to study God's Word and to reach out with God's love to others. And then uh, hopefully by the end of the summer, maybe there'll be a few days of relaxation and rest and uh, rejuvenation before we hit the fall again. That's a great reminder for us to pray for our congregations as they get to the summer months. And, and, you know, a lot of times there's opportunities galore to be able to reach out to people. There's no school. There's opportunities to see people. They're outside. At least in Minnesota, we're finally outside again. And also, Pastor Heine um, highlighted something that the Nash Youth Gathering is coming up this July, which will be in Houston, which I don't, I don't know, Pastor. Uh, Houston in July doesn't sound um, cool. I don't know. Any thoughts? Well, if you're talking about the gathering being cool, it absolutely will be. Um, it'll be an awesome event where we get to be in the presence of the God who is in all things and the joy that that brings us. 
Um, and I can't wait. I know I've heard a few things that are, are going to be part of that this this summer, uh, being on the one of the planning teams, and I can guarantee it's going to be a, an amazing and, if we can use the word, cool event. Um, but when you walk outside, you will melt. It will be hot, and uh, just stay hydrated, bring your shorts. It'll be good. It'll be great. Yeah, I'll be there with you, Pastor, and looking forward to um, being in God's Word with God's people that whole time. So with that and prayer, Pastor, can you begin our time as we study God's Word and begin our time in prayer? Absolutely. Most gracious uh, God, you are the God in all things. Uh, In Christ, we have that hope and that assurance that because He lives, we live. Because He lives, He is here. He is present in Word and Sacrament. And he is present in his grace that is poured out. May we hear that uh, same assurance and confidence of our salvation in Christ alone, the one in all things, uh, today as we finish up this letter uh, from John and know that you are watching over in Christ in whom we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text today as we end First John, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Or give us a call on this live program, 314-821-0850. 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, let's here begin by hearing the Word of God. We are in First John chapter 5. This is the end of First John. Like I said, there's many words that are said, and today... He ends his letter much like how he ended or got towards the end the end of this gospel stating his purpose. And I love it. I love that, you know, for us in America, we tend to like eat, a lot of times start with our purpose. And John ends with the purpose. And I think it just brings it all together in a beautiful way. So as we hear the words today, we're beginning in 1 John chapter 5, reading from the English Standard Version, beginning in verse 13 until the end. So we hear the word of God. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Pastor, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of grace here and a lot of purpose. You know, we always want a purpose statement, and he gives it to us. I mean, very plain language. How do you want to start us off as we end First John? I think uh, what we notice here is that John is going out with a bang, if you will. I mean, he really wants <laughs> to make sure he's hitting home uh, what what the reason for this whole letter has been. Um, and it's memorable. I, you read it, and there's pieces in here that uh, 
are wonderfully comforting and full of grace, and there's pieces of it that make you scratch your head a little bit and go, huh? And you get to the end of it, and, I mean, he leaves you with with something solid uh, to, to hold on to and to know. And I think that's where we start with. We know um, the confidence, the assurance we have, and that's John's purpose. That's what he wants to make sure in, in the midst of everything else, you have confidence and assurance of who you are and what that means for you. Well, I, you know, why is confidence in faith so important for, and especially when you look at youth gatherings, and I know, Pastor, you've worked a lot with youth and, and young people, especially today. Why is confidence in what he says today, confidence in Christ, so important for us? Well, it, you know, it's interesting that John wrote these words, you know, so long ago, and yet they're still really, they resonate today, right? We live in a world that, that's full of skepticism and relativism and pluralism and there's so many things that really are difficult for us and the world tells us one thing and it can be very confusing, very uh, difficult to navigate um, who we are and what that means for us. And so having that confidence, having that assurance of knowing who we are and, and whose we are is really a place that we can ground ourselves when, you know, the rest of the, the world and the evil one and all that go with it want to tell us something else that we can come back and say, no, this is who I am. Uh, this is this is what I believe. This is what God has done for me. It's, you know, reminds me of the that story about Martin Luther, you know, being tormented by Satan, the evil one, and his assurance, his confidence. I'm a baptized child of God, right? And that's where we come back to, and that's what John wants us to do as well. And I like how you said that, the, all the isms that we can, we, we throw around today, and sometimes we can become, that becomes our identity. And here, you know, he's just very clear, you're not an ism, you know, and for our world today, you're not an ism, and he's not an ism, he is Christ, and we are indeed his children. So, Pastor, I think I'm ready to dig in. Are you ready? Let's do this. All right, so First John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, we're just going to read this. And, and this, I tell you what, you to our listeners, you our listeners, uh, this, this is you. You can know you have eternal life, and this is what he says, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I think this almost should be a, a creed, a creedal statement, maybe the gradual, maybe, you know, something that you just insert before your sermon, whatever it might be. These words are huge. Pastor, tell us about the power of these words that he begins with. Man, I, uh, you, know, you make a great uh, point there. These might be incorporated now into uh, my, my sermon statement. You know, the, yeah. you know why, why are these things written? I go back to, you mentioned the ending of John's gospel. You know, these things are written, why? So that you may believe in Jesus and have eternal life. Right? That, that's the point. And here he does the same thing. These things I write to you. I write these so that you can have confidence in the name of the Son of God. And, and that name is so powerful, right? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, you know, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Like that name is not one we throw around. And there's a reason we have a commandment about honoring the name of God, right? Uh, because it's not one that we just throw around, but it is one we use with confidence in the right ways, um, knowing that in him uh, we have eternal life, that having the name of Christ put upon us in our baptism, having the name of, of Christ that goes with us wherever we go, uh, that gives us confidence in the life 
in the world to come and in, in life everlasting that is ours in, in him alone and so that you know you make the point you know this this is something we probably should confess more often and i mm. you know what a true statement that we really should hold that and it's that grounding place it's the place we come back to when all the isms of the world uh, want to give us their identity we come back to our identity in christ and what that means for us and you know one of the great parts we have in in a worship service often is that part where we'll say these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? And hallelujahs. And this is um, really in line with that, 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 that eternal life is yours. And that's why I love what it says, that you may know that you have eternal life. There's this understanding of, of Lutheran theology that it's the for you-ness you know, that this is for you. This is not a wide scope like, well, Jesus died for everybody. And then we just say, amen, and move on. No, Jesus died for you. And I want to ask you that, Pastor. I know we talked about this a lot at seminary. Um, why is the for you aspect of what he says so vital to us as Christians? I think because it's really easy so often. I see it I see it myself sometimes, and I see it in those that, you know, I counsel and, and love dearly who can look at me um, and say, yeah, pastor, but, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know there's grace, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, I know that God loves me, but you don't understand the, the way I live. Um, and this for you takes out the yeah, but, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You know, and, and we're going to get to that too, as we go through this section, we're going to see it a little bit more that, you know, what we do, yeah, it, it matters. It makes a difference. There's consequences, but there is nothing that separates you from God, right? Your, his love for you is so great and so powerful that the for you is important. Um, and that's why, you know, if there's something, you know, say to, your, to the listeners out there, there's something burdening you, something that's really weighing you down, that act of private confession with your pastor where he can come and look you uh, in the eye and tell you that that specific sin and the forgiveness that God has is for you, that that, that is forgiven in Christ. And I you know, certainly encourage you, if that's bothering you, if that's weighing on you, if you have something, make an appointment, set it up with your pastor, and allow him to come in the stead and by the command of Christ to declare those promises and that grace to you and for you. And, and, and your pastor will not uh, uh, get to that point of, of hearing your sins and, and then you know, get to that forgiveness piece, the highlight, the, the grace, everything right there. He will not say, yeah, but... <laughs> he won't right. say that. He will say, your sins are forgiven in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, and, and you know, Pastor, I remember in high school, my chemistry teacher, um, uh, he he got so frustrated in class, and he was kind of an eccentric guy anyways. He would throw he would throw chalk at us back when we had chalk in the classroom. <laughs> but anyways, so he, he one time he said something, some kind of scientific, scientific reality, whatever, and then he, someone said, yeah, but, and he said, there's no yeah, buts, and he tried to draw a yeah, but. It looked like a rabbit mixed with a Y, you know, with an A in it, and he tried, and he was just so frustrated. He threw chalk at that guy, and then he started writing a yeah, but. And, and then I heard another pastor. Um, uh, so it's even bad for science. You know, don't do the abbots in science. So why are we doing it in theology? We shouldn't be doing it there either. And, and one of the um, uh, one pastor, I had a sermon once. He said, watch your butts. 
And mm. and he's just saying, you know, we keep saying, but when we should just be saying forgiven, loved, true, you know, all of these, all these realities of who we are uh, baptized um, into Christ. And, and here John does not allow verse 13 to have the word, but in it, because it is fully true and it is for you. Pastor, anything else in verse 13? Uh, I, I think we've hit as much as we can there, and I think we'll we'll come back to this again as we go through uh, the rest of the section, too. All right. Well, by the way, I, I'd be intrigued to hear this, but do you think they use chalk anymore in the classroom? I'm trying to think now. I don't know. I have to ask my kids. I, what do you think? I, you know, I'm trying to think of all the classrooms I've been in. I think they all have whiteboards, and most of them are transitioning to smart boards that are smarter than me. Um, I haven't figured out how to use one yet. <laughs> so they will never experience their teacher throwing chalk at them. Oh, how, how, no. how horrible for these children. How horrible. Anyway. They can get a dry erase marker thrown at them, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. Let's, let's continue on. Verses 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request, excuse me, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Pastor, you know, one, one aspect I know I want to cover, and I want you to start where, you're, where you want to go, and, I'm, and my mind is kind of running all over the place this morning, but confidence. I want to make sure we cover confidence, because we talk a lot about that. you got to be confident, you know, confident, uh, confident young women, confident young men, confident in the world. And, and here he uses that word in a different sense. But first, how do you want to start, or if you want to start with that? Oh, I was actually going to start there myself. Cause, there you go. Go for it. You know, what, what does John do? He says, if we have this confidence, well, what confidence are we talking about? It's not the confidence in my strengths. It's not the confidence in my abilities or my smarts or, or anything like that. It's not about self-love, as it were. It, what's the confidence? The confidence is that I believe in the name of the Son of God and I have eternal life. That's the confidence. It's not about me. It's about what God has already done in Christ and, and what that name, that baptism, that, that grace that he's poured out has. And so when we know that, right, we have that confidence. We have that confidence towards him, not towards ourselves. That informs the way we pray. That informs the way we look at um, our life in this world. That informs all these things. And that's probably part of the, the problem with all the isms that we have in the world is it's all about the confidence in self or, or the confidence in an institution instead of in the confidence in the one who gave himself so you could live. And so he and it says confidence that we have toward him. You know, I've heard the, the comment confidence in Christ. I mean, I think it was a youth book and I can't remember where, where I read it, um, but it, it was very much so that understanding of confidence in him. Um, we've talked about this, and, and let's go back to some youth gathering themes. I remember in 07, there was the confidence in chosen. That was the that was the whole, whole youth gathering was about being chosen. And I remember explicitly speaking about confidence throughout that time. And, and, and this year will be in all things, you know, that confidence to know that wherever we may go, whatever we may do, that Christ is in all things and his grace is, is present within us. And so this theme is very much so in him and how important that is for youth, obviously, even as we get older and and throughout our whole lives. So I, I love this confidence piece and as we look at it. Anything else in verses 14 and 15, Pastor? 
Yeah. So then we get in this issue of how do we pray and what do we pray for? Ah. And, and what does it mean that God hears us? Um, because so often, you know, I, I heard this just the other day, you know, well, pastor, I prayed for, you know, this and it, you know, I'm not getting it. Right. And I thought if, you know, as a believer, whatever I ask for, God will give to me. Well, that's not exactly what the, the Bible says, right? Uh, it's one of our favorite ways to misquote the Bible. Um, he says, you know, if we ask anything according to what? His will. Uh, mm. And and that's the reminder to us that when we are confident in Christ, when we live in his word, when we receive his grace in word and sacrament, when, when we're we know the God who is in all things, then our life is more conformed to his will. And so we will ask things that are of his will. And by asking of his will, we, we already receive that. And that's what he says here, right? If we already know we have it, what do we have? We have eternal life. We have the, the foretaste of the feast to come. We have the shadow of the greatest thing that that's looming out there that we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you know, that understanding of the way we pray is knowing that the closer we are to God and to that confidence into those things, not that, you know, we draw near, but God draws near to us and we recognize that. But when we're in that, we're going to pray according to his will. And so it's not that you get to pray for a million dollars and, well, you didn't get the million dollars, so you must not be, you know, close enough or good enough. That's that's outside God's will. You know, that's prosperity gospel. That's not how it works. Um, it, it's with his will, going with his will and knowing that God hears all prayers. And it, when God says no, that, that's a valid answer. And it's because it's not according to his will. And that's a hard prayer, Pastor. I, I think about the third petition in the small catechism. You know, what does this mean? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. And, 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 and then it goes on, how is God's will done? It says God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world and our sinful nature. And I think about, I think about that, that it's very easy for me to pray for a million dollars and that can kind of whine and complain when it doesn't happen. But it's very hard for me to say, thy will be done among us also. And then there's parts of that where I just don't know what the answer will be. I want the answer now. And secondly, mm-hmm. I, I, I almost want to put God in a position where if he doesn't answer it, then I can kind of have an excuse. See, you don't care and then walk away at the same time. So it, it, if he's breaking the devil, you know, his plan of my life, well, I might not know that. So it's just one of these back and forths and thy will be done as a tough prayer. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, it may be one of the hardest petitions for us to pray. Um, maybe next to forgive, you know, my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against mm-hmm. me. Because sometimes that's difficult. But isn't that God's will? I mean, that comes back to God's yes. will, right? Yep. That mm-hmm. that we would have forgiveness and we would forgive others. Um, yeah, what is God's will in my life? You know, pray, praise, and give thanks. You know, and how good am I at that? So mm-hmm. when we we look at God's will understand that when God says no, and I, I always, I bristle at, you know, you know, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Well, God answers every prayer. He absolutely does. Um, it's just that my, my prayer sometimes is not in line with God's will. And for that, I need to, to trust him and, and know him. 
um, and know his will for me. And I learned that through worship, through the study of his word, through devotional life. Uh, I learned that when I spend time with the one who has come for me. And that comes down to what it says in the small catechism again, when it says, and when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. So that's where we, we pray that. And what do we do? Not knowing exactly what God's going to do, but we go back to his word and strengthen and faith in Christ until the day that we die. And he will give us exactly what we need. Um, Pastor, let me ask this too. Is it says if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Like you said, he answers us. But there's a strength in, in just knowing that he hears us. Why is that important for us um, in today's world that we have someone that we know always hears us? Because it means he's nearby. Mm. You know, you, you can't you can't he- hear someone who's far away, right? So you know that God is a God who is near, um, and you know, in this world, the most prevalent religion is probably moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, Mm -hmm. This idea that there is a God, there's something larger than us, um, but he sits outside of things and he's, he's far away and you know, you can call on him and he, he's there as a a nice little therapist who will hear you um, and make you feel good about yourself. Um, But he's really not involved in your life. And the, the message of Christianity is no God is near. You know, God is so near that he hears your prayers. He, he knows uh, when you speak. And to have that comfort of, of knowing that, that, you know, you know, back to the beginning, I read these things that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you would have eternal life, right? that this is for you. And by believing and knowing the name of Jesus, you know that he is nearby and he hears you and he listens. And he cares, and he's not just something that's out there that you know might may or may not uh, answer. He is truly right there. As it says, um, "Behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age," and that's what we all need: someone that we know is always there, and not only that they're there, but they're listening to us, which is, you know, quite quite humbling. Because I don't know about you, Pastor, I'm just not always a great listener. So knowing that mm-hmm. our Lord always hears is a, is a blessing as well. So let's keep moving. Fo- you know what? It's time to take our break. I lost track of time. So, Pastor, yeah. uh, we are gonna we're studying First John chapter five with Pastor Jacob Heine, and we will be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back 
We are studying 1 John chapter 5 with Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. And Pastor, we've gone through uh, verse 15, so I just wanted to check. Is there anything else you wanted to highlight in those first three verses before we move on? You know, it comes back to the confidence and the assurance, right? We we talked about at the beginning, and we see that again with prayer, right? We have confidence and assurance in our knowledge of the Son of God and eternal life that informs our prayer, that informs our life together with Him. We see so much grace here, even when sometimes, you know, as you, you mentioned, uh, that this is for you, and I think... It helps us when sometimes we say, but God didn't answer my prayer when he did, and this is for you. And what what a joy that is. We're going to see that again come back around um, in these last few verses as well. So let's let's move on here. Verses 16 and 17. And Pastor, you mentioned at the beginning that there's a little bit of head scratchers at times um, in these verses. Thankfully, it ends a little with a little more clear words, which is why whenever you are listeners, uh, us as pastors, interpret Scripture, that we got to make sure that Scripture interprets Scripture, that the clear passages help us understand the not-so-clear passages. And I think that's something we're going to have to do for a few of these verses um, throughout our time. So verse 16 and 17, John writes, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So, Pastor, we hear, I mean, this is serious business when it talks about sins, and it seems to distinguish between sins. And so I'm I'm confused. So, Pastor, how can you clear this up for us? Yeah, I mean, this, this uh, sends us down a road uh, with our Catholic brothers and sisters talking about mortal sins and venial sins and uh, the confusion there. But I don't think it's quite as hard or maybe as difficult as sometimes we think it is. Um, we know that all sin separates us from God. But it's living the sinful state that leads us to eternal death. So that unrepentance, the, the, the ability to not see your own brokenness and to look at God and say, I don't need you, that leads to the eternal death, right? That, that will lead to, to the final death on the last day where there is no coming back. Um, and if you die in this world in that state, you have entered into that, right? That leads to death. All other acts of sin are forgivable, and, and God's grace covers them. That's what the cross is about when, you know, Christ became sin. It wasn't just that he took on sin. I think sometimes we forget that. Um, yes, he took on your sin. Yes, he bears the sin of the world. But he also became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Um, in order for you to have his righteousness. And so when he takes that on, he takes on all your sin, every sin. Um, He becomes that for you, experiences that death for you uh, so that your your access, and this isn't, you know, don't mishear this either. Sometimes we mishear this and think, oh, that gives me permission to go sin. Um, as a Christian, that's not the way this works, right? We, we know that as a Christian, we want to struggle against our sin. We want to not sin, but knowing that we will fail. And so that, that's where the grace is. That's where we fall on the throne of grace with even more boldness. Um, it's not permission here. It's not an excuse. It's the reason that that happens. And so when John's talking here, 
you know, he's saying, you know, work with your brother, help him understand his, his brokenness, his sinfulness, and the grace that comes through that, uh, because you don't want that act of sin to become the sinful lifestyle that leads you to death. So I don't think it's quite as difficult as sometimes we make it out to be, but it can be very confusing without taking that dive in to understand, you know, how Scripture interprets Scripture, which you brought out at the beginning. And it's very, you know, there's there's that repentance theme that, you know, Jesus and John the Baptist brings out, and, and there's that reality of repentance and forgiveness, you know, are part of this reality of the Christian life. You know, Martin Luther speaks about this, that the life of the Christian is a life of repentance and an understanding of forgiveness. Well, if somebody does is unrepentant, and we're talking, and this is something that John was clearly dealing with, because in 1 John chapter 2, he speaks about those who have walked away, those who were with them, but now they have left them. And, and it's and it, just that reminder for all of us that there are people who become unrepentant and that you and I, Pastor and I, and you, our listeners, you can become unrepentant. And so we continually pray for that Holy Spirit to give us this gift of repentance. Repent for your sins, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you do, if you know, this is like usually that blatant reality where someone says, I don't believe in that anymore. Well, guess what? That's That's serious business. This is not just like, well, and I'm not sure, or I say the wrong thing, and I didn't know I was saying the wrong thing. This is like blatant, I do not believe it. I deny Christ is that kind of unrepentance that he's speaking of. And that's very serious. And for us, that's why, once again, we go back to that knowledge of the truth of eternal life, which is on Christ, not upon our perfection, clearly, very much so. So anything else in verse 16, 17, Pastor? I think it, you know, we want to tie this all back to that beginning opening salvo that he gives us, right? That these are, right. you know, the believing in the name for eternal life, and that's what it comes back to again, right? You, you have confidence, you have the assurance that even your brokenness, your sinfulness, it is still covered in the love of Christ. So, you know, if you're you're struggling with sin, if there's something in there, you know, as long as you are repentant, as long as you are trusting in uh, the the power of Christ alone, you know, another uh, wonderful gathering theme, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we, we hold to. That's what we hold on to. It's when you become unrepentant and uncaring when the issues, you know, of separation from God really take hold. And this is something that it's very, it, it can become very tricky when we try to, to dig too to dig too deep into the realities of this, because you say, "Well, am I repentant enough? Have I repented enough?" All those kind of realities of have I have I done enough? Uh, am I am I sincere in this repentance? Am I faithful enough? We can go down that rabbit hole very very quickly, which is why you know, Pastor, what would your um, what would your words be for all of us? Because we can go down that so quickly, we don't even realize that we're in the depths of it. What would be your counsel to somebody who um, maybe has gone too far in that questioning? Am I have I repented enough? Do I am I do I have faith enough? You know, all these all these questions that just overwhelm us. What would be your counsel to them? It almost sounds backwards, and uh, but I found it to be probably the most powerful one because it grabs your attention. You will never be enough because you're relying on yourself. And it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning. 
you know, this is, this is for you. This is what God has done for you. It's not about you. And, and as soon as we start looking at ourselves, um, you know, when you look at yourself and you say, oh, I haven't done enough, I haven't been enough, I haven't, you know, whatever enough, you're looking at yourself and your will instead of looking mm-hmm. at God and his will. Um, and realizing that uh, by yourself, no, you are not enough. You'll, you'll never be able to do enough. But the point is, is Christ already is enough. He has done more than enough. His, his merits are, are more than you could ever possibly want. And so we lean into the promise and the grace and the forgiveness, knowing that Christ is all you need. Yeah, that, that's it. You don't need to add to it. Um, and so we receive, and this is a great example of why, uh, you know, the sacrament of communion is so precious and so dear that we receive it regularly because we will never be enough. But in, with and under the bread and wine or the body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins that you take and you realize it is more than enough and, and that he shed his blood and gave his body and, and poured that all out for you. And that's what you need. And so we, we lean into it, realizing that you're right. I can't do enough, but it's not about me. <laughs> this is where uh, I'm thinking of a youth gathering theme. And I, I, you know, we're running with this. Sometimes I run with football <laughs> themes. I run with other themes. But today, Pastor Hine has been very involved in our national youth gatherings for many years. A real blessing to the church. And, and I was thinking about the last youth gathering, 2019 in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. where the, the title of it goes right with what you were saying about the Lord hearing us, Real Present God that understanding of the real presence, not only real presence in the Lord's Supper, but his real presence in all of our lives. So you have that theme. And then I was thinking of one while you're right, while you were speaking is, well, how about this theme? You say, well, you could have two options. The first one is you're not enough. Come to, you know, come to Houston in 2025. Um, you're not enough. <laughs> I don't think that would yeah. work very well. Um, but you're right. We do need to hear that sometimes, though, because we're talking about I'm doing this. It's not working. I'm doing this. I'm doing this and doing this. And at that point, they need to hear probably some more hard law at times. Not every time, but a lot of times it's like, you know what? You'll never be enough. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what? What are you talking about? Like, no, because and this would be another good title. He is enough. So yeah. talk to your people. Maybe that would be a good one for 2025. Any any thoughts no, on all that? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. That, uh, you know, the law gospel balance there and trying to keep that that centered. And that can be really difficult. We all know that. That can be a really challenging thing to keep that law balance, law gospel balance. But, you know, in order for the gospel to be sweet, I remember this, I don't remember who in seminary said it, but, you know, for, for the gospel to be truly the sweet, wonderful gift that it is, you've got to hear, hear the harsh law sometimes. You've got to hear that broken, your brokenness. Um, but that makes the gospel so much sweeter when you realize that you're right. He is enough. It's not about me. Um, I'll talk with Mark Keefley and see what I can get done with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. He's a classmate as well from our time at yeah. St. Louis, so we'll we'll work with that. But but that's a good reminder for you, our listeners, that we do need to be reminded that you're not enough. You'll never be enough is probably the better way to say it, is because we can often get very narcissistic in ourselves, that we can be uh, obsessed with confidence, and then that either leads us to narcissism, extreme narcissism, where we start thinking, well, I have it together, that guy doesn't, or depression, because we're looking at others and thinking they have it together, but yet I don't. And this is where we have to remind it, you'll never be enough, 
But guess what? Christ is enough for you. And so I think that leads us to verse 18 in a beautiful way as well. So let's read that. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So we hear, hear language born again, basically born of God, uh, but it also it kind of brings up, once again, a little bit of a head-scratcher, but I, maybe, as you said before, maybe not as hard as we think it is, where it says that he does not keep on sinning, and that leads us down that kind of that path again. Like, well, wait a second here. I'm born again, but yet I still sin. What's wrong with me? Your thoughts? Yeah, it, it comes back to what is our identity, right? It, it, if our identity is in Christ as a baptized child of God, which it is for all of us, you know, we use that word if, uh, but understand that I'm not saying you're not. It's just understanding that. When we understand that we are in there, right, sin isn't our definition anymore. Right, we are we're simultaneously saint and sinner, um, but our identification is Christ. Right, our identification is the one who is in Christ, and so it's we don't desire to keep on sinning. We don't live in a state where we want to keep on sinning. When sin is uh, brought to our attention, either by God, by His Word, or by a brother or sister in Christ, you know, we realize that, we recognize that, we repent of it. We live a different way, as opposed to just saying, oh, it's no big deal, or I don't care, or whatever it might be. So, you know, those who are born again don't live in a state of uh, perpetual sinfulness. We live in a state of perpetual grace. And so the evil one, right, God protects us, and the evil one can't touch us, can't hold on to us, because Christ has already won that battle. It reminds me of uh, C.S. Lewis in uh, Screwtape Letters, when he's writing about you know, how does he get to uh, do this, and Screwtape advises, you know, well, God has put up protection around him, right? So don't attack him, attack his friends, attack others, because God is protecting him. And that's a, you know, comes directly from this you know, this section, I believe, where he says, you know, God, God protects you. So Satan can't touch you. He can't hold on to you because you're now covered in the name of Christ through your baptism. Well, and thanks be to God for that. And that just shows us once again that he is more than enough. And, and, and there's a lot of promise in there. I mean, this is that, that understanding of the who we are in Christ and his protection that surrounds us, but it doesn't mean the devil doesn't still work. It doesn't mean there's no sin, but it does show us. And there was one, ah, shoot, one of our guests who speaks about the Psalms and that, that literally the Psalms are Christ laying over those Psalms when we read them, that when we read them in that context, that Jesus is laying over them, it opens up a whole new realm of grace and, and, and forgiveness and, and mercy. And I think that's the same here, too, as it says protecting him, just like a hen would protect her chicks. That is Christ literally laying over all of this to remind mm. us that we are in his, his grace at all times. So, uh, yeah. Pastor, anything else before we move on? Well, I was just kind of flipping through uh, one of our commentaries from the Concordia Commentary series on this, and uh, the translation they give, I think, actually gives a better, you know, understanding, you know, where the ESV says, you know, everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Uh, the, uh, Bruce Shuckard, uh, Dr. Bruce Shuckard translates mm-hmm. this way, we know that no one who is born of God lives for the sake of sin. And maybe that helps uh, us understand what that is better. 
right? It's not that we aren't going to sin, but we don't live to sin, right? And that gives us a better uh, picture of what that probably looks like. Awesome. So let's keep moving on. I'll just do one verse. We have about 12 minutes left in our time. So I want to kind of go through these slowly because once again, he gives us his purpose. So verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And this, this brings us back to that understanding of good and evil, light and darkness. And it's simple, but I, I think this is another good statement for us to always remember as we live out our lives, maybe a purpose statement of sorts. What does it tell us about God and what does it tell us about the evil one? Mm. Yeah, it really does frame it, this duality, right? That there's those of us are, who are of God and the world is of the devil. Um, and Jesus talks this way in his earthly ministry, you know, that the, um, you know, the father of lies and, he, you know, he, he tries to, he has the earth right now. And, but we are not of that. We, you know, we are, though we are in the world, we are not of the world. Uh, and that beautiful uh, duality uh, of this world that we live in. Yes, there's going to be brokenness. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be sinfulness. But we we are different than that, even though that we live here. As you were reading that, I couldn't help but think of the end of Joshua's gospel uh, or Joshua's book, the book of Joshua. Um, You know, not the gospel. Um, I know my gospel. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Right. We don't need letters. Um, So, but as he's. You know, as he says, you know, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the world? Are you going to serve the gods of this world? But as for me and my house, we serve the Lord, right? We, we, mm-hmm. worship, we worship the one. We know where we're from. Um, and that theme gets picked up here by John, right? There, yes, we, are, we know that we're from God, and there's the world that's out there. But we, we have a different identity than the world. And it reminds me of we just had our district convention this week, and— um, Excuse me, last week in the district convention, our theme was John sixteen thirty three. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And this is mm. a very strong theme that the world is, quote, evil because it's broken. The devil is seeking whom he will devour. I mean, how could we not think about the old, uh, all those lines, they can eat my body, but they can't swallow my soul. You remember the band that was, Pastor? Oh, Lost and Found. I know that Lost and Found. Go back to youth (laughs) gatherings once again, you know. uh, You speak about, yeah, the world will have these things. However, it is Christ who's overcome the world, for God so loved the world. And we cannot help but keep going back to Christ. So, yeah, man, we have... Man, we're going to, you know, within 10 minutes, how much more can we get into old youth gatherings as we continue on? Pastor, uh, anything else before we move on? Yeah, I, I just think the knowing where you're from, you know, what a, what a great theme verse for a convention. Um, yeah. I can't even tell you what ours is. I should know that. But <laughs> that one is wonderful. Uh, you know, the, the peace that comes through Christ. He's overcome the world. So let's continue on. The last two verses. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 
Pastor, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of just, you feel like you're just being doused or you're just being covered or this, this truth is being poured right into you in these last two verses. What are your thoughts? You know, it, it's so powerful here. We go back to that opening statement once again, right? You know, this is the reason this is written, that you would believe in the name of the Son of God and that you know that you have eternal life. And John wraps this up, his whole, you know, first epistle here with that, that solid thing. He wants to drive this home so that nobody misses it. Those, you know, when you're hearing this, when you're reading this, when, you, when somebody references this, know this, you are in Christ, right? You know that Christ has come. And that's the only way any of this makes sense. Any of this has understanding. Uh, any of it is true. And to know the truth, you know, because the truth will set you free. And the truth is Christ, the name of Christ, which has power to bring eternal life and salvation to all. And he really just drives that home in such a beautiful, great way. Um, and I don't want to jump to verse 21 yet, because I think that's um, another one of those head-scratcher moments. So uh, we'll hold that out there just for a little bit before we tie it back in. But what what an important you know, way to start this. We start with the son, son of God who gives eternal life. We end this with the Son of God who gives eternal life. Oh, you're exactly right. Because, yeah, verse 21 does kind of lead us in a unique way of him ending. But, but here, I always have seen... You know, they will have a mission statement or just kind of a short um, vision statement of a congregation. And they often will say um, to know Christ and to make him known, which I, mm. that is, I, I can guarantee it comes from this verse. Um, these verses is because they want you to know that he is the son of God. Uh, it's a John language, no doubt about it. That, and I love this. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. So it's it's a um, goes back to Galatians, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and and that's that amazing reality for me to think about that Christ lives in me. Why is that important for the Christian to remember? Actually, I mean, it, it's almost mind-boggling to think about, really, when you actually think about it. So, Pastor, why is that important? Yeah, I mean, it comes back to our identity and who we are, and you know, this issue of identity keeps coming up so often in our world today. Um, you know, who, who are you? What are you? You know, all those sorts of things. But for the Christian, we begin with a spot. You are Christ. Christ in you and you in Christ. Um, in the waters of baptism, God has claimed you and made you his own. Uh, it wasn't your doing. It was his. And he sent his spirit and it dwells in you and lives in you richly. And you belong to, to him, right? That's who you are. And when everything else in this world is, is chaos and uh, under, you know, different powers, we come back to that. Who am I? I am baptized. I have Christ in me and I am in Christ. And in him alone do I find who I am. And that's where we have to begin. Um, all of our discussions when it comes to these things, because if we don't, we're, we're going to be fighting a losing battle. But when we come back to that, that truth and that trueness um, that it, we are in him, it, it changes our view of the world. It changes our view of our lives. It changes the view of who we are, um, knowing that Christ has made us his own and what that looks like. 
And there's there's that there's that understanding of, huh. Well, I want to know. How do you know? And and continuously, you know, we 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 talk about this a lot as Christians, as Lutherans. Is how do you know? And it goes back to, to Thomas. You know, unless I see, I won't believe. And 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 he sees it and believes. And Jesus says, "Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet have believed." And how do we know? Oh, it's be Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's what we have. How do I know I'm loved? Christ and Him crucified. That's what John is addressing. Um, how do I know that 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 um. That, that, that there's truth? How do I know that there's resurrection? How do I know any of these things? It all brings us back continuously to Christ, his death, his resurrection, his real time in history, and his love for each one of us. So, Pastor, let's get to that last verse, because it is quite fascinating. It's almost like John was writing, and then he's like, oh, by the way, i gotta finish, I got to finish this with this word. So he does. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It brings us back to the first commandment. You know, it, it's, it's literally bringing us back. So, Pastor, your thoughts, and how and, and John writes that last verse. It seems so out of place, doesn't it? I mean, it just is this <laughs> random line. You're like, wait, but we had this great way to end, and now you're going to throw this at us? What is this all about? And even in, all, in John's entire epistle, depending on how you read it, you would say, well, this seems really strangely out of place. And yet, in so many ways, it, it is in it. It matters and it flows beautifully, because he's reminding us of of how our lives are. Right. This is why, you know, we always we have our questioning of our confirmands, and one of the questions is, is you know, what's the hardest commandment for you to keep and why? And they always like to go to you know whether it's gossip eight or you know maybe it's it's hatred. You know, don't commit murder and, and the hatred aspect of it and. I always bring them back to, yes, but when you break that one, which one are you breaking? Right? You're breaking the first commandment. And you're always breaking the first commandment. The hardest one to keep is the first commandment uh, because it all comes back to who, who's the one doing the action. When I think I'm the one who's doing the action, when I think I'm the one who's in control, um, all these things we've just talked about, I become my own idol. Um, that's what all the isms are about. You become the one who makes the decisions. And here, uh, John wraps up his gospel by basically summing up the whole thing, right? Have one God and know that that one God loves you. And you can have confidence that he has died for you, risen for you, and lives to this day so you can know him. And so that little children, my, 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 dear, my dear loved children, know that there is one God and serve him only. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. How would you summarize our text as we end First John and encourage our listeners in Christ? The, the summary is this. These things are written so that you would believe in the Son of God and that by knowing him you would have eternal life. Have that confidence that as a baptized child of God, you are in him and he is in you. And you don't have to fear the, the attacks of the evil one, because he who is in you is bigger than he who is in the world. Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas, given us confidence in Christ by God's strong word from 1 John chapter 5. Pastor Heine, thank you for bringing us his gifts. It's always a joy to be with you, Pastor Finneran. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>